You're listening to the Bad Break Podcast. Buckle up for some wild breakup stories. I'm not spending one more second of this life with some inconsiderate prick. Now I hate you, you slut bastard. Rachel, come on, talk to me, please. I can't even look at you right now. Stop! Don't touch my ever. Take all your You understand me is I am crazier. That's not something to be fucking proud of, Cassie. No. But it is something you should be scared of. Hello and welcome to the Bad Break Podcast, where we break down the craziest, juiciest breakups. My name is Chris Riata. I'm here with my co-host, Gigi Engel. And today we are joined by Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Dr. Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, absolutely my pleasure. Before we dive in, can you tell the audience a little bit about your work and and who you are? That would be amazing. So I'm a psychologist and an accredited advanced gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. That means I work with LGBTQIA+, non-monogamy, and kink and BDSM as a specialty, and a sex and intimacy coach. And I also was the resident um, specialist therapist on Open House, The Great Sex Experiment, which is currently still airing on Channel 4 in the United Kingdom. Amazing. Well, we will be talking about a few relationships today that many people know about and hopefully diving into their impact. So I'm glad that we have you on board. So this is our celebrity breakup episode. We are getting into the nitty gritty of some of the world's most famous breakups. And when you think about the world's most famous, who can we speak of besides Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, and then also Pete Davidson. To sort of recap, obviously, most people who are listening to this podcast know about the Kim Kardashian and Kanye West marriage, the Kim Ye era. But in a recent episode of the Kardashians, Kim said that she jumped into another relationship so fast with comedian Pete Davidson after her 2021 divorce from the rapper Kanye West. She said in the episode, it got my mind away from stuff and that's just not a way to run from things. She developed a new mantra, which is apparently called deal, heal, and then feel. I have no idea what any of that means, but I sort of love how Kim has this kind of transparent discussion with her family, you know, about how the rebound became it's sort of like a relationship, a world of its own when it was kind of just like her fling that she was having right after, you know, a long chaotic marriage. I'm wondering what you guys think about the implications of sort of like diving into a rebound immediately after a long-term relationship and whether you think Kim is, she's got the right message here. Sure. So I think that there's a lot of wisdom in the whole like deal whatever, and then feel. Deal, heal, then feel. Deal, heal, feel. (laughs) Which is kind of like what she's talking about, at least from my perspective, is that she's talking about actually like dealing with and processing the trauma of her breakup before trying to get into another relationship, which is a really important step in relationships once they end is the sort of, especially one that was as traumatic and traumatizing as her breakup with Kanye and all of his like subsequent well, we, we all know how that went down. And so I think what she's saying is that she actually needs the time to, needed that time to actually process her emotions and actually deal with the trauma and the grief of that breakup, but instead chose to sort of, for lack of a better word, kind of like numb out by like jumping into another relationship. I don't have anything against people getting into relationships after they have breakups, but I do think that there are some implications when you kind of drop, like get out of a relationship and then immediately hop into something that becomes very serious very quickly because of the fact that she's in the public domain. And so the media will immediately take her out and outing with Pete Davidson as being like, they are now in a serious relationship. And so I think there's like, there's a lot of stuff there. What do you think, Dr. Lori? 
I think it doesn't even matter whether you're in the public domain. The only thing I don't like about her little thing is that feel actually comes at the deal step, right? Mm. You've got to process Mm. the trauma and what you really need to process are your feelings. A lot of people Mm -hmm. use thinking and cognition to process things, but don't actually experience the feelings. And it's the feelings that are unprocessed that get them into trouble the next time because they end up following the same pattern because they haven't actually experienced the feelings and then made sense of them. They've kind of used their mind to box the feelings and then they move into a new relationship. Mm -hmm. And often there's a pattern and you'll be able to see a pattern of the same type of relationship. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is, is that whenever you jump straight into another relationship, you're almost guaranteed to repeat your pattern. Especially if the relationship that you're coming out of is one that was relatively long-term. So more than a couple, more than a year to two years and intense. You just have to be able to kind of Mm -hmm. be clear of that and clear of the specter of that before you make a better choice. And a lot of times people have multi-year relationship patterns that they're not aware of. So every relationship they get into has a similar pattern to it. They think the relationship's really different. And then when that relationship starts to go wrong, they go, oh my God, how did I end up here again? (laughs) So true. How do you think you get out of those patterns? By actually analyzing them and identifying what the pattern is. I tell a story that I say 20 years ago, if I walked into a room with 100 people and one of them was an addict, that's the person I was attracted to. 99 people who Mm. have never had a problem with addiction, one person's an addict, that's the only person I was attracted to. Until I figured out what it was that was attractive, because I knew damn well that it was not the addiction, right? The addiction... And the lying and all those things were the things I didn't like, but something made it grab me. And that pattern went on for quite a long time. And part of the reason it was hard to change was I couldn't really figure out what I was getting out of it. What was it I was looking for? And so once I was able to actually go back and look at previous relationships with an overview to figure out, well, what was I actually looking for? I recognized that there's a certain edginess that I was looking for. And then once I identified that, I was able to find that in other people because I was able to focus on what that felt like that looked like and so I suddenly started seeing a whole bunch of people that I hadn't actually seen before I literally and I think this is the case for lots of people they literally don't notice the people who do not fall into their pattern yeah that seems like it would be like you'd be following those patterns because you have that like tunnel vision absolutely interesting goes back to what you were saying about feeling like you have to feel at the same time yes I did want to ask one more question about Kim Kardashian she has very kind of publicly distanced herself from Kanye's meltdowns and and a lot of the anti-Semitic remarks uh, that he's made in recent years. Um, She's never really discussed them. And, you know, if you watch the show and if you see any of her interviews, she's very adamant that she doesn't want her children's world to have any mention of that yet. They're still all very young. I think her oldest is 10 years old uh, and she sort of hides them from that world and she doesn't She's very uh, clear that she doesn't, you know, talk negatively about her ex-husband in front of her kids. I'm, I'm wondering what you think about, you know, when when you're in the sort of public domain or even not when your ex is making, you know, espousing hatred uh, and, and there are children involved. Do you feel that Kim almost has a, a responsibility to speak up or do you think that she has a right to, to protect her kids and, and to not really to not really speak on it? Problem is you can't protect them. Hmm. Ten years old, you have no idea how much they already know. Kids know a lot and understand a lot more than you think. And they don't understand it as adults do, right? But they have their own understanding 
and they pick up on all sorts of things. And a 10-year-old, no matter the best will in the world, understands social media and all those things already. So if you don't want your children, if you don't want to be tacitly saying that your ex's view is acceptable and okay, you have to address it. So I have a problem with her not addressing it and not saying anything in public. Yeah. Even to just say, he has a mental illness. I believe if the, if she believed, those views come from there. She may not believe that. She may believe that this is how he actually feels. Um, I, you know, do not and never have supported those views and don't agree with it. And I'm raising my children to understand differently. But to not say anything is to let the children believe that it's okay, that he's okay. And to not, even to yeah. not address his illness to them, they're, she's letting mm-hmm. them believe he's normal. And that's not good for those kids. Yeah, I have. I totally agree because it's like she also she has a responsibility to to be. You have to be able to speak about your partner when you disagree with their behavior, even if he's the ex partner or if he was her current partner. When your partner is behaving in a way that you do not believe is correct, you have a responsibility to tell your children that that is not correct. That does that's not the same thing as like piling onto your to your partner and telling and like telling your kids all these like horrible things and being like, oh, they're a bad person and all that because like character assassination isn't good for the kids but that is tacitly different than being like these views and the things that your father are saying are incorrect and they're harmful and it doesn't it's not like character assassination to say that absolutely there's a big difference between speaking negatively about the parent as a human being than saying Mm -hmm. you know the views that they're stating or the behavior like for example a parent who's been publicly seen hitting somebody and in a fight to say to your kids that's not the way to solve things and not getting into why or why not Mm -hmm. the parent might have done it. It's just very clearly, that's not the way to solve things. That's not an acceptable way to handle conflict, which isn't assassinating it. And there's a huge difference, but you're right. They, they do have an obligation to Mm -hmm. let the children know. Otherwise the children do believe it's normal and you can expect them to emulate it at some point. Mm. It's sort of naive to think that like he's out in the public sphere saying anti-Semitic things and those things are not being repeated at home when he's with the kids. Yeah. Like that seems a little, a little far-fetched. Right. I mean, mm. I'm sure they kids hear everything and they, and they know, like Dr. Lori said, they know a lot more at, or at young ages than, than we give them credit. Um, and it's never too, it's never too early to learn that, you know, it's wrong to, to espouse hatred or to, to put your hands on someone like the example Dr. Lori said. Those are good points. And I've actually never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you guys about Ariana Grande and Dalton Gomez slash Ethan Slater has been all over my timeline lately. According to TMZ, last month, Ariana had separated from her husband, Dalton Gomez, after about two years of marriage. And three days later, multiple outlets confirmed that she was dating her co-star, Ethan Slater. The two are set to appear in this new live action of Wicked. So reports of the new romance spark controversy among fans largely because Ethan also recently ended his marriage to his wife, Lily J, who he welcomed a son with last year. It's been assumed that Ethan and Ari met on the set of the musical movie, which started filming back in December in the UK. And in light of their respective divorces, the timeline of their rumored relationship has been brought into question, according to BuzzFeed. Mm. But despite all of this, sources have adamantly denied any sort of speculation that Ethan and Ariana engaged in an affair on the Wicked set. And they're insisting that they started dating months ago when both parties were newly single. So 
I wanted to ask you guys, I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious that both went through some nasty breakups and now they are very publicly in a new relationship. What are your thoughts about going public with a with a new relationship after a, a very long term, meaningful relationship? Do, do they owe it to anyone to like be more private? Should they be doing this? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think the thing that sort of jumps out from this relationship in particular was the fact that the the ex-wife then came out and essentially said that, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like Ariana's not a girl's girl and essentially was calling her like a man stealer. And I feel like that sort of just like espouses this narrative that's really linked to patriarchy and misogyny where it's like oh it's always the woman's fault and she's a homewrecker and like and it's like and he's not really getting any of this flack really and so i think it really it sort of highlights some of the more insidious themes that we see within society itself i couldn't agree more i always i find myself often telling people in situations like this who you don't have a contract with her you never had a contract with her Let's say she did make a play for your man. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't she? Why shouldn't she? Why are you judging her? You know nothing about her and you have no contract with her. She doesn't know you. You have a contract with him. He's the one that's bound to rebuff people's, you know, people will always try it on. That's, that's human nature. The person who should be saying no is the person that you have the contract with. And so if you're going to be angry with somebody, mm -hmm. don't be angry with the stranger who doesn't know you, and he might have given a line to about what your situation was. You don't know. Maybe he said, we're separated already by the time they got together. Maybe he said, we're, this has been done. This has been finished. But he is the one you have the contract with. It's really easy to demonize the other woman instead of actually having to look at the deeper relationship problems that were clearly happening, which caused the breakup and caused like the alleged affair, even if, if there was an affair. It's like, it's a really, it's like, you don't have to look at your role in contributing to mm -hmm. the end of a of your relationship, right? Because you can just blame someone else. It's very easy. Yeah, no, you're right. It is really simple to just do it that way. But the other part of it, as to whether or not you should be public or not public, I mean, I do think it's silly. You know, I, these people are majorly in the public eye. I have had a little taste over the last few years of what it's like when you're being recognized regularly in public. I do think it's really silly not to go to as many lengths as you can to think, think keep things quiet for a while in order to minimize the, pardon my French, the shit that you're going to take if you don't, right? Hmm. I mean, from my perspective, like, why would I want to have to answer those questions? Now, I know it's harder if right. you're a big celebrity. It's definitely harder because people do watch you and they do take pictures and whatever, whatever. There is paparazzi. So it's always harder. But you can do what you can to kind of hush hush that. And so I think it's really simple to have it become something public straight away because then all the attention gets diverted to things that actually are nobody's business. It really isn't anybody's business. Totally true. Totally true. Yeah, I think we, we're so involved in these parasocial relationships yes. with celebrities and we think that because we know them from afar that we actually know what's going on behind closed doors we have no freaking idea but we're out here being like oh we pass judgments upon you from our computer screens in our pajamas and it's like you actually don't actually know these people at all so frankly like who do you think you are i think both things can be true there is something to the point that dr laurie was saying about while 
they deserve their, you know, respect and privacy and all that. Maybe for the first couple months, like, can't you just have a Netflix and chill night? Do you need to go to Nobu? Where exactly. you know all the paparazzi are going to be <laughs> like, keep it indoors for, for a week. Yeah. For, for a Friday night. Give, your, Friday night. give yourself a little break. But, but the, the power of social relationships is a really important point because I mean, even like influencers on social media who have no other claim to fame other than that experience that. People think that they know you based on the content that you put out and they make all sorts of assumptions and they develop their own story about you without any idea of what else is going on. And Mm -hmm. that can be quite difficult to handle. And nobody kind of educates celebrities that this is what to expect, that everybody's going to be in your business and armchair quarterbacking your entire relationship and passing judgment on you didn't look great that day. You went out to the shop in your sweats and your you know, you have no idea what's going on in that person's life. And so I do think that makes it a bit more difficult, but you can lower some of that by actually deciding to Netflix and chill for a little while before you run the risk of being seen. I think that also, it really gives your relationship a chance to have some legs before you are being torn apart by social media, because I think we can't ignore the fact that these celebrities, you know, they're being crucified for like every single little thing that they do. They're being raked across the coals for it in their relationship or the way that they present themselves. And that is going to have an effect on the relationship itself. Yeah. Because that's a big stress. Yep. And PR, I mean, PR do, you know, do advise you frequently. Good PR will advise you, you know, when to just avoid social media. Don't pay attention. We'll craft a response if a response is needed. Don't go and read every single hundred comments, you know, or thousands of comments telling you what a horrible harrigan you are for doing this or that or what a what a slut you are or what you know. I mean, that it, it's you're right. It does have an impact, and it can have quite a big impact. And there are ways to manage it. I think oftentimes, though, sometimes celebrities don't get the coaching in that, and other times they forget their coaching. That's very true. Well, I want to also ask you guys about probably one of the most sensational breakups that have happened in in recent years and recent memory. It's obviously Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Oh my God. This seemingly toxic relationship was heard completely around the world with cases in the UK and the US. I was glued to my phone during these trials. I watched them whenever they they allowed the cameras to come in. Uh, And although their marriage lasted only a matter of months, Depp and Heard's relationship spanned more than a decade. So just to quickly recap, according to NBC, Depp and Heard's relationship began more than a decade ago and eventually devolved into what appears to have been a toxic marriage. The couple split in 2016. They then battled in court over an op-ed that Amber Heard wrote for the Washington Post in 2018, in which she described surviving domestic violence without mentioning Depp by name. Depp sued for $50 million in damages. The jury unanimously found that Amber Heard could not substantiate her allegations against Depp and that she knew her claims of abuse were false when she published her 2018 essay. The jury determined that Heard acted with actual malice when writing her op-ed. They awarded Depp $10 million in compensatory damages, $5 million in punitive damages in his defamation suit. Heard had countersued for $100 million and said she was only ever violent with Depp in self-defense or defense of her younger sister. She continued those claims in both cases, by the way. And uh, her countersuit centered around three statements made by Depp's former attorney, Adam Waldman, in 2020 to the Daily Mail, in which she described Heard's allegations of 
abuse as a quote hoax. The jury found that Depp through Waldman defamed Heard on one count. The jury awarded Heard $2 million in compensatory damages, but $0 in punitive damages. This was just, honestly, the podcast is called A Bad Break. This was the baddest bad break I think I've ever seen or heard in my lifetime. I know that both of you have a lot of thoughts on this. Gigi, you live close to where this whole scene unfolded. Can you tell us a little bit about what you remember? Yeah, I, actually, I live really close to the Royal Co- Courts of Justice in London. So I kind of, I saw like the protesters outside every day who were doing the whole big like free Johnny thing. Yep. And honestly, like, so it, it felt like it was literally hitting close to home. So I felt like, I kind of just felt like I had an obligation to keep up with what was going on. And like, honestly, this whole thing was just so heartbreaking. And it was so, so hard to watch a woman's trauma paraded around and then used against her, which it goes back to all the stuff I was saying before about misogyny, like we blame women for their abuse. And that was my take on it, that it was like, it was, it was like a bunch of incel, like Johnny Depp supporters who were like, we love Johnny, we're not going to believe women. And then Amber Heard paid the price for it. Wow, I have a really different take on it. I've got a really different take on it. Oh, I would love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. Yes. So as a psychologist looking at the language and looking at the languaging and the stuff from his team, from her team, looking back at some of their press over time, I think the jury did did the right thing. I believe that they ended up in a toxic relationship where eventually there was abuse on both sides. But I believe that she was the instigator and that she's got some... Interesting. Serious problems that need dealing with. He has lesser a lesser degree of stuff that hopefully he's dealing with. God knows whether either of them get the help that they need. Mm-hmm. What really concerns me is, you know, we have this situation where people don't listen, didn't listen to women at all. And then we had Me Too. Right. And then people stopped listening to men. We're trying to redress the balance. And what I see happening is people finding it really difficult to actually sit with nuance. And I don't think this is just about abuse. I think in the world today, nuance gets lost every step of the way. Um, And I think part of that is social media and algorithms because you get one choice or the other choice. And whatever you choose, you see the same information that supports your choice over and over again. It's very hard to end up with a feed on any app that will give you both sides of a story and allow you to sit with the nuance. And so people don't learn how to sit in the middle, which is the shades of gray. Neither side described what an actual relationship it was somewhere in that gray area in the middle Mm -hmm. we didn't get to see that because of the way that this is publicized and because people have lost the ability i think to actually see nuance anymore which to me is frightening because that means that more women will get abused because we're going to get the swing back and forth and and i'm not saying men don't get abused right i'm saying there's nuance there i just said i thought that he was abused but more women will get abused because the backlash is always against women and that's because the misogyny is still in place so the backlash always ends up against Mm. women in the end that is so interesting i don't think we can sort that out until we start seeing nuance again yeah going through that trial it felt like you're both spot on first of all but in the in the court of public opinion it was you could only be on one side you couldn't Mm -hmm. just state both of them are clearly perpetrators of wrongdoing both of them are not perfect flawless individuals you know and i think it just very quickly became you you had to choose one over the other and there wasn't any sort of nuance to it whereas if you actually listened to that trial every single day it was i think it was clear that in in some instances amber heard you know was violent and in some cases it was clear that 
that Johnny Depp was violent. I think that's why they came out with that very nuanced finding and, and answer in the latest trial. Gigi, what do you think about like the long-term implications here of, you know, when it comes to violence against women and, and believing women after how we saw this all kind of play out? Yeah, I mean, I think Lori made some amazing points. There is an argument and definitely a conversation to be had about the nuanced stuff that's going on here because we tend to get so one-sided. And like Dr. Lori said, if you stop, if you have to be so one-sided and you're sticking with that one thing, the perpetuating of violence against women will continue in that cycle because women get blamed. Very cool take. It's, I mean, I thought, you know, it was one that I thought a lot about because I was like, what's really going on here? And and part of me looking at that is looking at people's behavior as individuals, not with each other. Because sometimes you get a toxic relationship with two people who otherwise are not normally toxic. And you can see that, right? Mm. You can go, that just seems really out of character for them. And it actually is. It's just the combination is incendiary. But this wasn't that. Both sides had stuff from other people, right? So putting them together made it worse. But both sides had stuff from other people. Both sides had issues that frankly needed therapy. Whether or not they ever get good therapy remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. But because there's no nuance, you don't, you know, because of the lack of nuance and he's right, she's wrong, she's right, he's wrong, it doesn't make it possible to go get therapy. It doesn't make it possible to put your hand up as one of those two people and go, okay, you're right. This and this was not okay on my part. And this and this was not okay on your part. And that's how we're going to resolve this. And also legal systems aren't built to sit with the nuance and the niceness, find the niceness in the middle, the resolution in the middle. Legal systems are adversarial. You only get like a a a nicer resolution if you're doing um, something that is, what's the word? Uh, Mediation right? Outside of the adversarial Mm -hmm. system. How interesting would it be if one day we heard either of them admit any sort of guilt? Because right now they have just taken exactly what you're saying, that stance of like, I'm the victim and they are the only guilty person in this scenario, because I think they had to kind of play those roles. Mm -hmm. It would just be so interesting to see either of them be like, you know what, I did fuck up here and there. (laughs) Well, you're only going to see that if there are no, if there's no possibility for legal consequences. So it depends on whether anybody can go back to court. So if it gets to a place where nobody can go back to court, like it's outside of a statute of limitation for for um, criminal charges and there's no possibility of going back for civil charges, like there's no you couldn't go back for Mm -hmm. perjury. You couldn't go back. Then maybe somebody, if they do their work, will come out and say, actually, I acknowledge blah, blah, blah. But as long as it's possible for there Mm -hmm. to be a court case, you're never going to see it. Right. If I can squeeze in one more quick relationship here, whereas that relationship was all about, you know, blowing the doors open and kind of seeing every single, you know, horrible detail. One thing I don't think we're going to see anything of is a bad break between Justin and Sophie Trudeau. Mm -hmm. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Sophie Trudeau revealed just last week that the two of them have officially separated. They're not calling it a divorce, but they are are somehow legally separating. I'm not sure of the laws in Canada, but this sort of international headline grabbing news about the high profile power couple has sparked a series of questions about what the split means for the Trudeaus, for their children, and for the entire Canadian and global political landscape. After what the pair described in identical Instagram posts as many meaningful and difficult conversations, the prime minister and his wife have decided to separate after 20 years together, 18 of which they 
spent married. But his office followed up with the news that the pair have signed a legal separation agreement and made efforts in the process to ensure all proper ethical steps are taken. Sophie has moved out of the government estate where they live, but they plan to spend a lot of time together co-parenting, and they're even taking a family vacation together this week, which to me just sort of smells of like a PR campaign being like, everything is fine, nothing to see here, the relationship is smooth sailing. But obviously there are things going on behind the scene that are causing this this relationship to come to an end. And I'm so interested in what you guys think about like having to put on, I mean, for a global political leader like Trudeau, you you sort of have to put on this facade, right? You have to kind of like play this part, even if your marriage is in demise, that that things are going well. And I'm I'm interested in like the stressors of that and and the implications that that has on a on a human, on a marriage, on a relationship, on on the family. What do you mm-hmm. think, Dr. Lori? You know, I I wonder why it is we think they need to do that, or why they think they need to do that. I mean, look at what's going on with the presidency in the United States, and what's gone on with the presidency in the United States. I mean, we've got a guy running for president who's being charged with 78, who's just been charged with 78 felonies. Why do we care if a sensible married couple (laughs) are getting divorced? They're not having a big affair in public. There was no grab them by the pussy and there was no, you know, Monica Lewinsky (laughs) in in that, right? Right. So why do we care? Why do we care so much? (laughs) I mean, I think it does have implications for the family when you have to pretend. I think they have a right to keep what they mm-hmm. want to keep private, private. If they feel like they have to pretend and therefore they're going on the family holiday because they feel they need to put on a show, I feel very sad for them and sad for the children because the tension will be there. And it won't make sense to to the kids because on the one hand, they feel this tension. And on the other hand, they're smiling and saying, nothing to see here. Everything's fine. You know, so I do feel bad for them if that's the case. I think we saw something similar when Bill de Blasio and his wife did a press conference to announce that they're separating. And I think it goes to show the sort of like highly constructed narrative that people really need to put out in order to safeguard their families sometimes because like, well, they want to live in the same house and continue raising their children together, but they're, they're now separated. But like, if they had been caught, you know, one of them had been caught, I'm doing air quotes, um, like out on a date with somebody else, it would have been a huge political crisis. It would have been a cheating scandal. So they had to create this narrative in order to construct what they needed to for the media. That's because we don't, that's because people are still not educated and won't countenance other relationship styles other than monogamy. And like the reality is, is that there are plenty of people who divorce and stay in the same home and get new partners, right? There are loads of people who do that because they Mm -hmm. want to co-parent and their houses are big enough or their estates are big enough where they can do that and not be in each other's space. But also that there are lots of people out there who are truly non-monogamous where there really is no issue. Until more people are willing to be open about that, we're going to have this. We're going to keep having this. I got interviewed when um, a congresswoman in the United States came out as non-monogamous as to what I thought about that. I thought it was brilliant, right? That somebody actually said, this is my life. I mean, when you're being elected, it's problematic right. because people might not elect you for as for that reason. But I still think we need to be educating because there have been agreements that were in affairs for years with political people, you know, where where everybody knew. Right. The problem now is, of course, there's cameras everywhere because everybody uses their phone. It's not just paparazzi who you used to be able to get to be quiet. I mean, my God, JFK had all sorts of relationships that nobody heard about because everybody agreed. We don't report on that. But now you could see, you know, Sophie out on a date and somebody catches that on their phone camera and turns it into a news outlet. And now we've got a big deal. So we need to 
start educating people. Yeah. And, and who really knows, like who knows whether we don't know any aspect of their relationship behind closed doors. So who knows if their marriage is in demise or who knows if this is some carefully constructed narrative that they're building because they do want to date other people, but they also don't want to fully get divorced. They just want to kind of see what this next chapter of their lives yeah. hold. Like I'm sure, like you're saying, that's happened a million times in uh, among public, political, powerful people, but they have to create these like false narratives for no, I think for no fucking reason. I don't think I there's any point you. to it. I would appreciate like you're saying, just spill it. Well, and also because part of the reason I know this has happened so often is when you have that cut, when you have more money than the average person, you can creatively explore whether your relationship can exist, can still exist um, on some levels, on many levels, on all levels. You have a luxury that people who have less money don't have, right? Because you can, you can, you have the money to have totally. two properties or you can have a large property where you can expand. So you actually have the luxury of taking your time trying to figure out what the situation and the relationship is. And so it's sad to me that you get, you see the false narrative because people could learn so much from that that that's even a possibility. Mm, interesting. I wish we would know more about what's happening behind closed doors with the Trudeaus, but I have a feeling we'll just be fed this carefully constructed narrative for the next few years. <laughs> yeah, in all likeliness, that's probably the way this is going to go. Well, this has been so much fun. I feel like I've thought about each of these breakups in ways that I did not previously. And I'm walking away with this with like a whole new mindset. So Dr. Lori, thank you so much for joining the Bad Break podcast. This has been amazing. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and follow your work? Sure. The easiest way to find me is to go to drlauriebethbisbee.com. There's an events calendar so you can see where I'm speaking live. And if you want to follow me on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and now threads, I'm at Dr. Bisbee. On TikTok, I'm at UK. And those are really the easiest ways. And I really appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun. Amazing. Yeah, we've had the most fabulous time talking to you. You are just such a wealth of knowledge. I love, like, <laughs> love your perspectives. Oh, love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on again. My pleasure. That's all the time we have for today for the Bad Break podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode so we can bring you more wild breakups and expert tips. I'm Gigi Angle. That's Chris Riata. And we'll catch you next time.